Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, Elsia123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Welcome to Scream For Me. Or perhaps as it should be called, Scream At Me, because of how often I wanted to scream at some of the character choices here. No one is being their best self in this episode, uh, except Ashley Marin. And the scenes between her and Allison are top-notch. But aside from the horse attack, a lot of this episode is hard to get through. Yes, this is a rough one. Uh, there is a lot. I, I mean, I think we can just say, like, trigger warning up top. This episode really dives headfirst into the muck of uh, rape culture, of sexual harassment, of... Um, alcohol abuse, like especially all the stuff swirling around our dear Hannah Marin, uh, things are not well. No, that is totally true. Uh, the liars utterly fail to support Hannah after she is perved on and sexually importuned by Zach. Uh, Hannah herself is drinking a lot and internalizing the blame for what happens while also giving into her petty wolf where Allie is concerned. Uh, Aria continues to have a plot line steeped in fat phobia, now with a side of being openly more sympathetic to predators than her best friend. Uh, and the whole time the show is trying to do a thing where it sets up Zach's behavior as predator bad, uh, whereas, of course, Fitz's behavior is a paragon of non-predator virtue, which is just absolute garbage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this episode, like, makes it clear the ways in which the liars have really to the point of, you know, it's it's kind of like that episode where Spencer posits whether they sort of deserve everything that A has, has thrown at them. And this episode is sort of another version of that in a lot of ways. Um, I think an interesting thing to track as we go through this episode is, like, the, the points at which... Um, we feel like this storyline is being mishandled or uh, less mishandled. I won't say well handled uh, because I do think that there are pieces of this story that could be told in a way that um, is actually really, really good. Uh, unfortunately, I don't feel like that's really what is happening here. No. And I feel like the show is trying to do something where it, it actually thinks that it's being clever. Because this episode is, a, a, a big theme here is like, who to believe? Like, should we believe women who are victims? Like, should, should we believe Ashley and Allison uh, have been attacked by an intruder in the Marin home? Uh, we should believe it, except that, oh ho, Allison was playing a trick. Um, mm -hmm. Should we believe Hannah? when she was preyed on by Zach, the liars feel like maybe the answer is no. So they're, they're trying to do a, a clever thing where they're saying like, oh yeah, you should always believe women or should you? And I think that that is just a ridiculous take. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I remember when the Bros Watch PLL2 podcast talked about this plot line and uh, somebody had asked them something about like, why is... Prezra treated so differently um, from the other men on this show? Why is he allowed to like get away with so much? And they made the interesting point. They said, 
actually the character who is treated differently is Zach because he's the only character that's like clearly coded as being a perv. Uh, whereas all these other men are being pervy, but are cast as like our romantic heroes, like Prezra, like Ren. Um, and I think that that's a that's kind of an interesting thing to sort of keep our eye on as we're going through this episode. Not only what we're seeing portrayed on screen, but how it's being framed to us, how it's being communicated to us, uh, because it's you know it's it's deeper than just what the characters are doing and saying. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like the main difference between Zach and Prezra in terms of their their actions uh the the main difference is just that like Prezra did better advance work right right yeah Pe- Prezra was a better researcher mm-hmm. yeah he was yeah. a better researcher and he knew better how to like how to approach a young woman uh to make himself seem desirable right right Zach is more um he's a he's he's a less organized criminal <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're really, yeah, they're, they're really like pulling out all of all of the stops here to just make Zach a creeper. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, should we dive into the beginning of this episode? I suppose we must. (laughs) All right. Well, we start in choir practice. Uh, The Liars, Sans Allison are singing uh, What Child Is This? while they glance in at another room where Allison is talking with Tanner. Hannah notably seems very hungover and very out of tune as she sort of sloppily reads over Emily's shoulder. And then we kind of cut back and forth into the room where Allison and Tanner are talking. Tanner is asking about Shauna uh, and is, you know, <laughs> making some salient points about all of the coincidences involving, you know, Shaw- or, um, Allison's childhood friend just happening to, happening to move up here. And did uh, Shauna know that Allison was actually alive? Allison is is pretty avoidant and seems to just kind of go the deny deny route. Tanner clearly isn't buying her story, uh, and then she she makes this one remark. She's like, "Well, neither can Shauna, who really is deceased, <laughs> unlike you, Allison." Um, Allison thought that this line of questioning was going to be about her mother. And uh, she does her kind of uh, vulnerable, tremulous voice that's like half truthful, half put on. Uh, Tanner says that the police have many theories about what's going on. Outside that conversation, the liars are theorizing that Tanner did this in their view so that they know that they are next. Um, we There's a question about whether Tanner has heard about Spencer's tapes are the Melissa tapes and Aria snaps that no, some of us know how to keep our mouths shut with a pointed look at Hannah, uh, which is hilarious to me that Aria, not exactly the best at like battening down the hatches of the various <laughs> mysteries is all like, Oh yes, I am the best secret keeper. Um, Allison returns with the knowledge that Tanner doesn't buy the story uh, and is asking questions about Shauna Arya runs off to go call Fitz and warn him about what's going on, uh, man- managing to throw more shade at Hannah in the process. Allison reaches into her bag to find that somebody took out her music and circled all of the A notes in the piece. Uh, nice little musical joke there, A. I feel like that's <laughs> like a that's kind of like a a highly sophisticated sophisticated little a move there uh ending of course with a note about uh allison and choking and allison sort of nervously caresses her neck yes oh i also just want to track the way that in this episode once again 
uh, location is like the key to murder. Like, oh, Shauna came up from Georgia to be here in Rosewood. And like, that's a connection to Allison. So obviously Allison's guilty of something. Uh, and the fact that Hannah is like, they're, they're really treating Hannah as though she like, just like blabbed endlessly to Sydney at the brew. Uh, when in fact she basically said the words New York and Jenna and Shauna, uh, and that was all. Like she didn't like you know show Sydney a bunch of pictures of them all at a Rockettes show. Like this is <laughs> you know this is really yeah. different. Um, but you know the liars just are kind of deciding to ice her out rather than offer her any support, which she pretty clearly needs here. Yeah, and also Emily is going to make this whole thing so much worse in a couple of scenes. <laughs> well, Emily is like Emily is like Hannah's determined wifey. Like when Hannah can't find the the lines that she's supposed to be singing, Emily is like vigilantly like showing her her place in the music book. It's like they're they're having some weird things this episode. For sure. Um, so Hannah is getting a notebook from her locker while Emily and Spencer chat openly and loudly in the school hallway about how half the school might be on Mona's side. They don't know who is at the brew with Sydney and Hannah. Maybe Sydney can tell them. They interrupt this train of thought to further dig into Hannah when a beer can falls out of her locker. Um, Spencer claims that Hannah wore her blouse inside out the day before, and now her locker smells like Oktoberfest. Uh, she's not buying that the can might be Caleb's. Uh, as we know, he only drinks bottled beer, of course. Uh, and Spencer <laughs> is just super unsympathetic, considering she herself was suffering from an addiction issue very, very recently. Hannah asks them to stop throwing shade. Aria is already mad enough. Uh, the liars ask if Hannah has apologized to her. She says that she did, but the other liars think it was not good enough as Hannah's message sounded like she was underwater and had Caleb laughing in the background. Um, she needs to do it again. And Emily adds that she should also apologize to Allison for nearly outing her to Pam. They were supposed to be backing up her story, not throwing peanuts at the stage. Spencer wants to finish this at lunch, but Hannah has other plans. Good for her. I would not want to sit around being like battered by my friends over uh, over this either. Yes. Um, first of all, interesting choice of words there, Emily, using the word outed to describe Allison. Mm -hmm. um, I also feel like there are some really odd, curious, uncommented on class dynamics at play in the way that Hannah's whole breakdown is being framed. Um, you know, when Spencer had her addiction storyline last season, it was like she was going to the other rich kids and they were all kind of doing the rich kid drug of study aid. Uh, and it was kind of framed even as glamorous a little bit in the sense of like the shadow play episode and all of that. I mean, I don't I don't feel like I feel like the show was very clear that it wasn't good what Spencer was doing, but it was kind of um Spencer was not being coded as trashy the way that Hannah is being coded as trashy. Hannah is being styled like Courtney Love. She's in, you know, ripped, she's in like ripped stockings. She's got her bad girl hair. She's got cans of beer falling out of her locker. Later, there's a reference to malt liquor, which feels very pointed. This is not like the fancy expensive scotch that Peter Hastings drinks. Like 
it feels like the show is saying that like it's like uh, the greater crime that Hannah is doing is like being disheveled in public versus mm. like actually okay, you know? It's oh, a, it's a, weird. I find that's it really a weird. Great, great point, and something for us to keep our eyes on uh, as we move this episode. I think I think you're right, and I actually have a class commentary about Hannah later on. So yes, this this is good. Yeah, and I think it, it's. It, interesting to the way that that interacts with Ashley both Ashley and Caleb's backstories uh which are you know heavily implied to be people who do not come from money so yeah, yeah it's weird um so outside the school Aria is furiously uh leaving a voicemail for Fitz she's very worried about Eddie uh big Rhonda as we are continuing to refer to her as etc Ella pulls up just then, uh, and Arya spins a quick lie about leaving a message for Byron. We learn that Ella's engagement party is upcoming, and she finds this sort of, like, weird backdoor way of asking if Arya will be her maid of honor. Uh, Ella has booked a bridal suite for them that afternoon uh, to to get, you know, ready for, for the big day. Arya has Radley, and Ella asks if somebody else can cover for her. Uh, but just then, Fitz calls, and Arya runs off like a total weirdo. I feel like um, Ella's really springing this bridal suite thing on Arya, and it's kind of framed as like, isn't it so great that Ella wants Arya to be her maid of honor? And and what a sort of um, Arya should feel so guilty that she's like not prioritizing this. But it's like. For this afternoon, like it couldn't be like in a, you know, on Friday or something. Like, why does it have to happen this very day? Yeah, I feel like everything with this, uh, everything with this engagement seems really rushed for no reason. Um, Yeah, it does not. It does not seem like they need to be having an engagement party like in two days. And it also really doesn't seem like uh, they need to have a a bridal, uh, a bridal event that very uh, that very afternoon. Plus, like, Aria is not too far off that the bridal fashion show of doom uh, that resulted in Jessica De Laurentiis being murdered. So I think that Ella could be a little more sensitive uh, about forcing this on Aria with no notice. It also, I agree, and it also seems like almost like they wanted it to be the wedding. Like they wanted it to have the stakes of a wedding, but they were like, well, we can't reasonably have them have a wedding like so soon after all of this. <laughs> and like, we don't really have the extras budget to like have them have a wedding either. Cause this episode is like so weirdly absent of extras, even though like there should be a lot of extras like milling around the brew and stuff. Um, and so I feel like it's, it's kind of this thing of like, well, we'll just like split the difference and have it be an engagement party that's seemingly like happening right before the wedding, which I, I don't think that's really how engagement parties typically work. No. And, and like the whole engagement party thing is like, so it's not a shower. It's not a bachelorette party. It's not like, it's, <laughs> it's just an engagement party. That's going to involve like tissue paper flowers and like seating place cards. And yeah, it's, it's basically, uh, it's basically like you said, like the we ran out of budget to do a wedding event. Completely, completely. Yeah, we we used up our we used up our wedding dress budget on the weird bridal show last season that really had no reason to be wedding related, but like can't get more wedding dresses now. Uh, 
they they used up their budget on the explosion of Toby's house that happened twice and then required a lot of extras to be standing around in the street looking at the the bombed out house. I do think though this is something we should keep our eye on because I do feel like there's maybe a little bit of a vibe that they didn't have as much money to work with this season. I don't know. I think we should maybe oh, keep an eye on that. It's interesting. I feel like this episode is like we're in uh we're in like a small watercraft and we're getting ever closer to like careening off the waterfall. That's kind of how I feel. Like yes. there's still like there's still enough good stuff to like keep us going in the stream. But like that waterfall is sounding louder and louder. Like the fat phobia <laughs> plot line, uh what's happening with Hannah here, like we're we're getting to the part where like the show is gonna be mostly indefensible choices as opposed to campy mystery. Yeah. Oh, and yes, definitely with the Spoby plot as well. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, okay, so Emily strolls into the locker room and approaches Sydney, who broke her personal freestyle record at practice thanks to Emily and her coaching assistants. Uh, Emily wants to thank her for helping Hannah sober up. She tries to like retract whatever info Hannah gave out by saying, oh gosh, Hannah just gets blotto and after two sips starts making things up, telling people her grandfather invented the paperclip. And gosh, she called Emily talking about going back to New York, but she and Hannah have never even been to New York together. Um, did she invite Sydney to New York? And Emily is like so far from subtle here. Uh, Sydney's like, uh, I don't think she mentioned New York. And also, did you know that the team voted to make you an assistant coach? Emily's like, huh? Why would anyone expect me to commit to anything? Sydney then gets upset with Emily for not being honored by this obligation that no one asked her if she wanted. Sydney also presents this with another line heavy with sexual tension that could belong in the first <laughs> act of a porno, asking Emily, are you seriously not going to tell me the real reason you're in here? As Sydney mid-changing her clothes after swimming. And also Sydney, who was very disappointed that her straight buddy wasn't watching her swim in the pool. Like, Sydney continues to be a little weirdo who, like, I'm just convinced at this point, like, she just, she just is, like, very confused by her queer feelings for Emily. And, like, this is the only way she knows how to deal with them. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. And she does not feel like it is flirting to just randomly say New York back and forth a million times. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Where's the beef, Sydney? Where's the beef? <laughs> it's not in New York. No it's not in New York. York. Nothing is in New York. <laughs> New York does not exist. Oh, man. So uh, Hannah is outside the school, hungry, ready for lunch. Uh, let's keep track of Hannah's eating or lack thereof in this episode. It is pretty, uh, pretty telling. Uh, she was, Caleb was supposed to meet her at school for lunch, but he is, he is like still drunk or hungover. And like, they are just laying it on really thick. He's like, hey, baby, I, I lost track of time. I got to put a shirt on. But, like, he's just like. They are just really, really leaning in hard. 
there is little subtlety in this storyline. Um, Allison walks over once Hannah hangs up the phone. Allison looks fantastic, by the way, in this scene. Like, she's got, like, the long straight hair and these white earrings. She looks great. Uh, she hands a bottle of water over to Hannah. Then, in a softer than we're used to seeing way, asks if Hannah is upset with her. Hannah denies this, and then Allison quickly pivots to say that her dad is going away. She can't leave town because of A, and oh, wouldn't it work out if she came over and stayed at the Marin house? Hannah is clearly not into this idea, quickly saying that her mom has a lot of stuff going on, and she's going to have to check with her. Yeah. Um, oh, Hannah, you gotta always say that it's you that doesn't want a thing. If you put it on someone else, it opens up the avenue that Allison is going to take care where they just ask the person that you were throwing up as the roadblock. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Ashley is like, I feel like Allison's story like, to Ashley too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I, I agree with you about the laying it on thick with Caleb. Like, and like you said, how they're making Hannah seem just kind of, uh, kind of trashy. Like, Caleb here is talking in a voice that like conjures up an image of like him just like laying out in an armchair surrounded by cans of beer. Uh, like, yeah. Bottles. Bottles oh, yes, of beer. Right, you're right. Bottles, <laughs> bottles of beer uh, just kicking around underfoot. Um, and he like, you can just imagine him in like boxers and a white tank top. Yeah, it's, it's. It's strange. It's strange the way that they're, you know, I, I feel like PL does this interesting thing sometimes where when the characters, when the liars are going through something, it's almost like they kind of will like cosplay as their idea of that thing. Like when Aria had her lost weekend, it's like <laughs> she was sort of cosplaying that. And it's like Hannah is sort of like cosplaying this bad girl persona. But now it's like maybe at first it was her cosplaying it, but now it's just like her reality and nobody is really um, helping her deal with that, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And props to Allison for coming in and being much nicer than expected. Because, like, you know, Emily was like, you need to apologize to Allison for everything that happened at dinner. And Allison basically gives Hannah a pass on that. She's like, you know, we're all stressed. Have some water, hydrate. Uh, and while the other liars yeah. are really being jerks to Hannah, uh, Allison knows that, like, the thing to do to try to keep her close is actually to be like nicer than expected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So I oh. knew that this was coming, Oof. but I, I was still not ready. I existentially, I will never be ready. Um, Caleb's bottle beer only survived one week as the most laughable part of this season to date. Um, because here we have Spencer, uh, showing Toby the pictures of Bethany's drawings and sketching out this possible Bethany A, Mrs. D connection. Uh, she says that she's sorry to be bringing it back up. She knows that he wanted Radley to be behind him. And Toby says, it won't be over until he has answers, but he'll never be able to get answers until he's asking questions from the inside. And Spencer's like, what do you mean? And he says, when he is a police officer, 
he has joined the police academy in Harrisburg. And Spencer, I love her reaction. She has like a nervous little laugh here. She's like, no, you didn't. Why would you do that without telling me? And so like all Spencer has done is like, she's had like two seconds to react to this like pretty major news. Uh, and she kind of like laughed nervously and is like, why, why would you do that without telling me? And uh, that is all we need for Tobey to immediately shift into blaming her for him not telling her. Um, he's like, well, probably because I knew that you would react just like this. Uh, you know, like her current reception of this major news that she just heard moments ago is not sufficiently warm and encouraging enough. Uh, he yammers on about how the Rosewood cops are all bungling or corrupt. Uh, so he plans to be both. No, uh, he says he actually cares. And wouldn't it be great to have someone in there with access to all those police records? He wants to protect the people he loves who don't feel safe. So essentially he's like, all these cops are abusing their power. I want to get in there and abuse my power. And like yada yada, he wants someone who doesn't believe his house blew up because of a gas leak. Again, he is joining the police force to settle his personal scores and because he feels powerless in the face of his fear, which he thinks a badge and a gun will really help with. There are so many reasons this guy should not be a cop. He has control issues, anger issues. As far as the police know, he served time in juvie because he like blew up a garage that his stepsister was in. Oh, he closes this monologue by asking who is going to make him the dinner he was invited over for, huh? And this is absolutely the point at which he and Spencer should break up and not get back together. Here, here. Yeah, this scene is just wild. First of all, I think Spencer is wearing a wig. <laughs> um, also, like, the way... The way that he, like, opens the fridge, the fridge is, like, really empty. Spencer is like, oh, yeah, my mom's not eating, which is, like, kind of a troubling bit of information. And Toby very patronizingly is like, your parents will work through this, Spencer. Like, they have too much history between them not to. And he, like, clearly, she has spent all of this time processing his mom's death and, like, bringing him this information. And he cannot spare, like, two seconds to listen to what's going on with her family. Also, Spencer, like, I just really laughed at, like, Spencer's line, like, is this why you cut your hair? And, like, all of the lines in this scene, it's like the writers were like, this is a wild pivot for Toby as a character. <laughs> so we need to throw in some lines from Spencer that it's like, Spencer's like the audience surrogate in this scene. Like, she's asking the questions that, like, probably the fans were tweeting Marlene. Like, she's like, you can't just like it's just it is a it is a bonkers scene and um yeah it's gonna kick off like this whole weird dynamic basically where she has even more reason to feel like she can't trust him and needs to lie to him and he has even more reason to be patronizing and authoritative towards her and it's just gonna continue to get weirder and weirder as time goes on well also there are so many ways that toby could help her that do not involve joining the police like if you made a list of like helpful things that he could do becoming a police would be like like it would not even be on the list that is so that is so unhelpful uh to the liars and to everything 
uh, to everything that they're going through. You're basically like, it's basically like when he joined the A-team, he's like, well, what I really feel like I should do is align myself with your enemies. Like, that's what I should do under the guise of helping you, which is actually not helpful at all. Also, like, think about all of the things that he needed to do in order to join the police academy. Like, there's an application process, there's probably a test, there's, like, fitness stuff that you have to do, there's, like, he had to go to the barber and get his hair cut, his barber probably knew he was becoming a police before his girlfriend did. Like, even if you take, even if you take his bullshit at face value, like, I didn't tell you because I knew you weren't going to be supportive enough of me. So now you have to be supportive of me. Take that. Um, even if you take <laughs> that bizarre train of thought at face value, which I mean, probably we shouldn't, but if you do, like, if you feel like you need to keep major life decisions a secret from your partner because they won't support you, you, you probably should not remain with that partner. That is not a good partnership. And from Spencer's perspective, if your significant other is making enormous life decisions, which are going to impact not only them, but they're going to impact you and your life as a couple, like, and they are not discussing that with you before they have taken action on it. Like, again, that is a sign that this partnership is irredeemably broken. Oh, completely agree. And it's, yeah, it's, it's very weird too, because it's not like being a cop has been like Toby's lifelong dream. Like he, he keeps kind of framing it from the standpoint of like, I'm doing this for you, Spencer. But it's like, is he? No, I don't think he really is. I think he's just trying to find power. And it's, it's interesting how like, like the, like these relationships are so codependent from the standpoint of like, well, we're just in this thing together and we're just, you know, it's like, it's just, we're just sort of, you know, we have to do whatever we can to, to, to defeat a and all of that. But it's like, they're not, there's like, they're not communicating about anything real here. No. And he's like, it's already done. So we can't have a fight about it. You just need to make me dinner. Um, Right. That's really weird. Like, there's absolutely no reason that you can't sit down and have, like, it probably is going to be a fight because you yeah. did not, like, you were shady. Like, you did a, a shady thing um, that your, yes. your partner is not comfortable with. Um, but, like, you have to sit down at some point and have that discussion. Like, well, what is it about me joining the police that you find, like, worrisome? What are the concerns that you have about what could happen? Spencer could be like, tell me about why you feel like this is going to be a good idea. Like, we don't, we don't get any of that. We just get his monologue and then everybody needs to support him and make him some dinner. This is one of the most obvious, like, we don't know what to do with this character anymore pivots that the show ever makes. Yeah, yeah. Teen Carpenter... Uh, is going to become teen policeman. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, in retrospect, Toby is probably one of the most like lost characters of the series, uh, just in terms of like the weird places that they take his character. Well, you know, when you think about when Spencer, uh, when Spencer became interested in him, it was when he was this like misunderstood Boo Radley crying behind a dumpster lost boy 
Uh, and it's like, Toby has worked, like, Toby has done a lot of work to, like, not even remember who that version of himself was. Um, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's okay for people to grow and change. Uh, but that, it, it does not mean because something brought you together, like, that one time, that you have to just, like, stay in this, like, sunk cost situation forevermore. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, little tiny Aria is trying to peek into various rooms at Radley as she looks for Eddie Lamb. She has to, like, jump up on her tiptoes. She's so small. Uh, and a snippy nurse uh, comes around a corner to announce to Aria that Eddie Lamb no longer works at Radley. And Aria should stop asking about him and go into the day room and do her damn job. Um, Aria very quickly sneaks back into Rhonda's room to try to sneak the sketchbook back under her bed. But then Rhonda comes in asking if she is looking for something. Aria claims that she wanted to take a peek at her her sketchbook and put her back lying and saying that a nurse told her that she stashed it under her bed. Aria apologizes for invading Rhonda's space in a very insincere way. Um, and she is about to leave for the day room before Rhonda grabs her, saying that she can forget she saw her here, but it might cost her something. This whole scene, Rhonda is framed as this very, like, scary, domineering figure who is going to hurt Aria in some way. And I hate it. Yeah, like the the way that this is again framed as the terrified little white girl and the angry black woman who's more physically imposing. Uh, this is just trash garbage, especially for a show that finished season two, season three A, and then started off season five with the death of a black character. Yeah, and there almost seems to be a, a sort of implied sexual assault potential happening in this moment as well. The way that Rhonda kind of pulls Arya close and Arya's like, what do you mean? You know, what do you want? Um, it's in an episode that's already like playing really fast and loose with those dynamics. I, w I felt like I was kind of on alert for that. And I just, the whole thing was really uncomfortable. Agree. Agree. Um, oh, speaking of uncomfortable, Hannah gets home and before she is even fully in the door, the sound of Allison's voice is drifting in from the kitchen. Uh, Allie is sitting with Ashley, telling her tales from the dark period of her kidnapping. Ashley is just like full to the brim of sympathy. And Hannah is like annoyed before she's even heard the part about Allison staying there for the next several days. Uh, or seen her mom suggest a hot bath and offer Allison the fancy bath salts. Um, Ashley talks about how upsetting it was to hear about what happened to Allison. Uh, she says she used to think that Allie was too tough for her own good, but thank God she was. Uh, and then she makes a very correct observation about Allison. She says, that girl has no support system. Uh, and that's true. Like, that's extremely true. That is a lot of what is wrong uh, in Allie's world right now. But Hannah is not interested in her family becoming said support system and announces that she will not be staying for dinner. She's going to help Caleb study for his exit exams. Uh, she grudgingly goes upstairs to show Allie where the guest towels are, uh, but not before she mentions that she asked to use those bath salts a million times. Uh, this is so interesting because it takes everything to a new level. Like 
Hannah doesn't love what Allison is up to, um, but she also, I think, mainly does not want to share her mom with anyone else. Yeah, I I agree. And it's I think it's such an interesting dynamic, too, where it's like Hannah, like Hannah has been more distant with Ashley lately. Um, Allie is so eager for a connection with Ashley, I think both for genuine and and less genuine reasons. Um, but I also think it's really fascinating the way that like we saw Pam reacting to Allison in the last episode and Pam was um on the surface loving but like clearly extremely discerning in the way that she was listening to Allison's story and almost had a bit of a clinical standpoint a clinical approach to like what was going on and perhaps even a bit of a like what did Allison do to bring the situation onto herself attitude whereas Ashley who to our knowledge also similarly probably had very little support system when she was younger and has perhaps been through some of the same things that Allison has been through is completely full of empathy for Allison, but has really zero discernment in terms of um, interrogating her story in any way. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think that even if Ashley were told, like even if Allison told her, what happened is I ran away and then a lot of bad stuff followed me. I think Ashley would still have the same amount of sympathy. Um, I, yeah. it's, it's definitely been heavily implied in, in the show that Ashley herself ran away from a bad situation as a teenager. Um, you know, they don't, they don't speak to her family of origin anymore at all. Uh, which, you know, so she understands, she understands what it's like to like grow up in a home like Allison's. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oh, was there more you wanted to say about that? Uh, no, just that I think that when when we see Hannah, like Hannah acts a little bit bratty here about about Allison staying there and about the bath salts and stuff like that. And I think that remember when they were having the argument over uh, Jenna's medical file and Hannah says to Spencer, like, we don't all have like fancy parents who are lawyers who can get us out yeah. of trouble. Uh, and I think that that continues to be in play for Hannah. Like when you were saying about the class dynamics of the breakdown that Hannah is having here, like Hannah doesn't have her own lake house. Like she has to go yeah. to like this cabin that Caleb is crashing in. Uh, and then if she doesn't want to be there, she has to sleep in Caleb's car. Uh, Hannah doesn't have like a lot of other spaces she can go to. Her family doesn't have a ton of money. Um, but what Hannah has is an engaged parent, like a parent sure. who is like around. And like, that is the thing, like that is the thing that Hannah has that the other girls don't have. And having to split that with Allison uh, is, is something uh, that Hannah is just like deeply, deeply unhappy about. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, it's like the one thing she has over Allison and she feels like Allison is taking it from her. Yeah. yeah. So back over at Radley, Aria presents Rhonda with a can of soda and some chips and starts asking about the sketchbook. Rhonda kind of leans back in her chair and uh, is curious about why Aria is so obsessed with Bethany. 
Arya admits that she never met Bethany, but that Bethany's body was buried in Allison's yard. Uh, which I'm not sure if like divulging her all of this is really so smart since Arya is allegedly undercover at Radley right now. But okay, maybe she just figures that nobody listens to Rhonda anyway. Uh, Rhonda says that a rich lady used to sign Bethany out, giving her gifts and taking her places. Uh, Arya immediately goes right to the le- to the yellow top. She's like, "Did you ever buy her a yellow top? Was it layered?" And Rhonda's like, "I don't know about a top." But she did get her a pony named Custard. Uh, Aria, who has decided that this lady was Mrs. D, quickly reveals that the rich lady was recently murdered and might have been the same person who murdered Bethany and does Rhonda know anything. Just then, the nurse from earlier bursts in, pulling the food out of Rhonda's hands, announcing that Rhonda is diabetic and chastising Aria. Um, I hate that, like, in addition to all the other stuff with Rhonda, it's like, oh, yeah, she's diabetic and she lies about it. Like, it's just it's it's like how much more stuff can we heap on this poor character? Um, She doesn't even like get the dignity of not lying about this. Well, also, it goes to like it, it goes to the point of like. Jenna, is she blind? Sarah Harvey, does yeah. she have hands? Can you trust anyone to say whether or not they're diabetic? Um, well. Yeah, yeah, completely. And then later we'll find out Arya didn't lose her job over this, which is like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. To be to be a white person in Rosewood, man. Oh, I, I yeah, I know. Just Just easy, easy peasy. A white straight person specifically. Yes, yes indeed. Yeah. Oh, so Hannah is upset in Caleb's car. Uh, Allison is everywhere, and now she's wearing Hannah's pajamas and drooling on her pillow. Uh, Hannah wants food, but Caleb only brought a big old bottle of liquor. Uh, he wants them to take off together to Japan or Myanmar. Uh, Hannah is not into that. Um, but she is into getting a sandwich and hopefully something to cut the alcohol with. Okay, Caleb, you couldn't go through, like, a drive through Come on! Uh, no, all he wants to do is just sit around and drink this big bottle of liquor out of a paper bag. Yeah, and, like, a troubling thing through this whole episode is, like, Hannah being hungry but, like, not getting food. Like, she was mm-hmm. hungry at lunch and she didn't eat anything. Her mom was making stir fry, but she wasn't staying for dinner because she said she was like getting dinner with Caleb, but then Caleb didn't provide any food. And so it's like, she's just been drinking and she's, it's just like, I feel like there's just this impending sense of doom of like, just bad stuff is happening in Hannah's world right now. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely, that is definitely true. And I also want to, uh, I want to call out like, uh, an actually consistent character detail about Caleb and not being able to handle his relationships uh, is that Caleb is one of those people who thinks that uh, going to a new place is going to change. It's going to change the relationship. It's going to change things. Uh, If they go to Japan, things will be different. They'll be happy there. They won't be the same people with their same problems just in Japan. Uh, And that's going to be a thing when they're both in New York and then it's like, oh, they can't make it work because they're in New York. Uh, He wants to go off to Europe, but Hannah can't get away with him, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And then, of course, when they're back in Rosewood in the final season, 
oh, now they can be together because they're not in New York. New York was the problem, not the two of them. Uh, so I just want to call out this early example of, of Caleb having that kind of escapist thinking. Great point. Also, New York gets a really bad rep on this show. It was responsible for Shada's death, Prezra's gunshot, and Caleb's breakup. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's the big bad city. It is, it is. Um, but yes, I also think that like it's really interesting that Hannah very much does not want to engage in this conversation about the future and about them going someplace. Like she's clearly not at all in a spot to be able to think like that right now. Right, right. Um, so let's see. Did you take that? So you, did you take us to Hannah getting out of the car here? Yeah, I thought you could take her into the brew. Sure. So Hannah is um, hungry and she goes up to the brew very adorably, like leaning her little face against the window because the brew is in fact closed. Zach walks out, prey, prey acquired here. Um, and Hannah, again, like Hannah is such a cute drunk. Like she's like, I want a tuna melt. And he's like, well, we're closed up early um, because of the engagement party. And Hannah kind of realizes that and seems, you know, mildly disappointed, but like she's ready to head on her way. And Zach kind of gives her a once over and invites her in to have to ask if she wants her tuna melt to go. Yeah, he is. He's clearly taken stock of this situation uh, and has decided there is something that he is going to try. Yes, Yes, indeed. Oh, so Emily is listening to music and studying in her room when Aria texts that Rhonda spilled big beans. Uh, a figure is seen lurking on the stairs. <laughs> it's Sydney being a creeper as <laughs> always. Uh, she has come upstairs unannounced to give Emily an assistant coach Sharks sweatshirt. Uh, they talk for a bit. Uh, Sydney like has a gratuitous mention of her boyfriend who never watches her swim. Uh, her parents who also don't support her swimming. No one's cheering her on. Her dad is always traveling, opening a bunch of royo shops that Emily might have seen when she and her friends were. That's right, in New York. <laughs> <laughs> said that and then Emily specified that she has never been to New York of course Sydney must have mushy underwater brain etc oh my god Sydney is such a little weirdo like <laughs> what is the beef Sydney like she is just the way that she just, like, comes into Emily's room, the way that she's, like, made this jacket up. Also, like, Aria being such a big dork with that big Rhonda spilled big beans all in caps text. Like, oh, my God. I mean, Emily is having I, I, a night. <laughs> Emily is having to deal with a bunch of weird dorks, like, making her communicate with them. <laughs> also, like, Sydney, if you are, like... 
uh, a female student at Rosewood High who is not one of the liars who comes to Emily's bedroom in dark of night. Like, you're required to make out with her. Like, it's it's in, like, the union contract or something. Come on. And it's such a gratuitous moment of, like, my boyfriend, who is a boy and has it for this. Like... <laughs> <laughs> but isn't supportive of my swimming not the way you are, Emily. Yeah, and is off at college, like far away, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really and and there's also a line in there about like I still want to know that you're there in the bleachers, like cheering me on, even when you're not coach like it's there's a weird rom com in here somewhere if Emily could just get to it and Sydney wasn't such a weirdo. <laughs> If Sydney wasn't taking, like, awkward flirting advice from, like, Jenna in her ear. And Paige, like, I feel like this is, like, if, if like, season one Paige was, like, trying to mentor somebody. I, I think it might be, like, uh, Jenna, like, there's one earpiece in Sydney's left ear that Jenna is talking in about what to do. And then there's, like, an earpiece in her right ear that Mona is talking in about what to do. And so they're just, like, giving contradictory advice. And so Sydney is always, like, she's always, like, half a beat off and being a little too strange. <laughs> and, and like, she's, like, some, sometimes she's just a robot and just, just like, New York, New York, New York, beef, beef, beef. <laughs> yes, New York, New York, Royo, New York. <laughs> beef beef swimming um, my boyfriend yeah i'm straight um, yeah it's really funny oh this scene though this scene is not really is walking around the which is decorated um full of like paper paper decorations but there's nobody here besides zach uh, she kind of adorably tries to talk about a quinceanera, which I feel like is like her way of saying that these decorations look like they belong at a quinceanera. <laughs> like such a Hannah thing. Um, Zach smirks at her, saying that he can smell her from there. Hannah tells him that it's whiskey. He remarks that uh, she's bad girl, and he always had a thing for the bad girls. He says he should lecture her about underage drinking, but uh, he can keep a secret. Can she? Uh, This whole time, she's, like, trying to move away with her tuna melt. He is following her. And uh, she brings up Aria, which, like, move here. If Aria was the one who made the flowers, uh, he says that she was. And uh, he puts a hand on Hannah's back. It lingers for far too long and will not accept payment for the tuna melt. Yeah. And he like runs his hand down her back. Like as he is, he's like, he's like making very free with her body. And she is like, this isn't a situation where there are like mixed signals where he doesn't know. Like Hannah is, Hannah is very, very clearly sending the signal uh, that she is not interested oh yes yes she is yeah all of her physical signals she is like turning away she is walking away she's bringing up aria yeah yes yes for sure um yeah and he's like like when i say that like the difference between zach and and fitz is that fitz did better advance work like 
But look at look at what Zach is trying to do here. It's a really similar thing. It's like, oh, I know this secret about you. I know that you were doing something you shouldn't have been doing, which is drinking. Uh, and you know, I'll I'll keep that secret. I'll do you a solid if maybe you can do me one. Dot dot dot. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's the same pattern of manipulation. I think. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, it's just Fitz. Fitz was Fitz was a little bit more clever in the way that he kind of played the long game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, Arya is talking on the phone about how she'll never be allowed back in Rhonda's room, and they need to figure out what stables Jessica and Bethany went to. Uh, she quickly hangs up when she hears Ella stomping around, and Ella enters the room in a state. Because she changed the bridal appointment time and Arya still blew it off. Arya apologizes. Ella just kind of wails. Like Ella is really uh, Ella is really dealing with a lot of emotions, it seems like. Uh, she says if something has changed and Arya doesn't want her to get married, she needs to say, wow, Ella in this scene sounds like nothing so much as a person who wants to cancel their wedding but needs a reason. Uh, Arya assures yeah. her, no, no, everything is great, fine, no problems at all. Um, Non-confrontationella finally sighs and says that she will try to change the appointment time again. Also, Arya is like clearly going through something, but Ella, who clearly, like you said, like Ella would like somebody to sabotage this wedding. She's <laughs> begging for it. <laughs> um, uh like she is she is taking a very self-centered approach to Arya's uh sort of flakiness around all of this yeah later there's going to be a scene where we see that Arya is making the place cards for the engagement party and it seems like every single person invited to the engagement party is a friend of Arya's like they're all, yes. they're all teenagers who are like friends of Ella's daughter and like that's on one hand like kind of funny and kind of sad, but also further proof that Ella just wants something to throw this wedding train <laughs> off of its track because like inviting the liars to any type of nuptial themed event has consistently resulted in disaster. Hannah's dad's attempted wedding, the bridal show where Spencer had the bone corset. I mean, I think she's just really rolling the dice and feeling like, well, if I invite all the liars, something's bound to happen, right? <laughs> Well, alternatively, Zach was probably like, hey, Ella, you know, your daughter, Aria, like, why don't we invite those friends of hers? And hey, I think we should be cool grownups and let them drink champagne all night long. True, true. Works both ways. Works both ways. Much like Sydney. Um, so now on to a really devastating scene. Hannah and Caleb are at the mysterious lake house. Uh, they are both drinking. Hannah is kind of nursing a glass of whiskey. She asks Caleb to take her home. He says he's too drunk to drive, but he can call her a cab. She stands up and she starts fidgeting with her skirt, saying that it is too short. But he gives her this sort of lazy, drunk, turned on smile and says, no, it isn't, pulling her into his lap. They start making out. He wants to keep going, but she reiterates that she needs to go home. He asks if she's okay. She says she's just drunk and tired and wants to go to sleep. The 
sort of uh, subtext of this being wants to forget this whole night happened. Um, this storyline, there is a world in which this storyline could work, I think, and could be kind of a nuanced exploration of the way that young women internalize the messages of rape culture. The thing is that PLL does not have a good track record with naming predatory behavior as predatory. And the way that the liars react is so inappropriate, but they are the liars. And so there's a part of the audience that is supposed to kind of be like, well, they have a point. They are our heroes after all. So it's really unfortunate to see Hannah going through all of this, uh, knowing, you know, that the narrative is sort of halfway saying, well, can you really blame Zach, even if he is technically being framed as a perv? Yeah, yeah, I think that's really true. Because, like, people are consistently going to be asking Hannah if she was drunk, which has nothing to do with anything. Like, nothing, nothing to do with it. Right. Nor does this. Nor does the the length of her skirt. Nor does the rip right. in her tight. Like right. none of that. Nor none does of that. whether she's going through a bad girl phase. Like the only thing that is like the only thing that is a salient point here is like, did you touch her without her consent? Did you creep on her because you want to hook up? Like, yes, you did both of those things, and those are both entirely on him. Exactly. Exactly. And another thing that like nobody talks about because probably we this is a show where Presria is one of our OTPs like nobody talks about the fact that Hannah is a minor. Yeah. Like that that goes completely unmentioned. And there almost seems to be this attitude of like, well, she's drinking, so she's not really acting like a minor. So she doesn't really have to be treated like one, you know? Oh, my God. So much trash. So much trash in this episode. So much. Someone needs to take it out. <laughs> yeah. And I have some more coming up in this next scene. Oof. Um, Spencer and Emily are in the choir room, and Emily is being asked to explain Hannah's absence. They talk a bit about Hannah's drinking in a disapproving way. I'm an Aria text to say she found the name of the stables. Uh, Emily and Spencer are going to go after school because Spencer has this new theory that maybe Mrs. D was afraid of someone who had some blackmail material against her and they can find out more information about that if they explore the, um, you know, correlation between Mrs. D and Bethany and this horse named Custard. Uh, Hannah walks in. Uh, She is looking rougher than she has yet. She actually has Rice Krispie Treat in her hair. Uh, she's confused about what time it is. She doesn't realize that she has missed class. And she confides in them about Zach hitting on her. Spencer and Emily do not react well. Was she buzzed? Is she sure? Does she want to ruin his whole life if she misinterpreted something? Oh, man. Women doing the work of the patriarchy for men is such a fucked up dynamic. Uh, I want to think that what's happening here is the liar saying, look, no one ever believes us about anything. Uh, But what's really happening is Spencer and Emily indicating that they don't believe her. Uh, Hannah wanted to tell Aria, but now Spencer and Emily don't believe her. Uh, She's wrecked and she really just cannot get away from them fast enough. 
Yeah, and you know, it you you often bring up, which is such a great point, the way that when Emily came out to Hannah, the show provided a blueprint in how to react when your friend comes out to you. And this is how to not react uh. when your friend reveals something like this to you. I am so you know, you look at just what the characters are doing and it's like, this is terrible. Then you think about it in the larger context of PLL being a show with a largely female, largely teenage audience who are growing up alongside these characters and are seeing this behavior modeled by their heroes. That it immediately, when somebody tells you something like this, you question it. You, you know, take the, the devil's advocate side of the man. You bring up, like, his future that might be ruined, and you offer zero support to your friend. I also find it really interesting that when Hannah says she has something going on, um, Spencer asks about it, and uh, she Hannah alludes to other stuff, and Emily immediately asks if A is targeting her. And it's almost like the only mode that these girls know how to support each other in right now is if they are on the defense from A and are kind of a united front against A. But as we've consistently seen and as we've talked about lately, when they have their own individual stuff going on that isn't related to A, like addiction, like, um, you know, eating disorders, like what's happening to Hannah in this episode, it's like they do not know how to offer that kind of support. They're so stuck in the trauma of reacting to A that that's like the only mode that they know how to be in. And I think that's so interesting when we think about the couples, the endgame couples, and the ways in which not having the life and death pressure of A around might actually force these relationships to crumble because their whole relationship has just been in fight or flight mode. And it's like this idea of actually having a future is completely um, unheard of for them. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I think that, you know, if anyone were to, to like, if if we could, like, rewrite the scene, I think, like, it would be so much more helpful for either Spencer or Emily to say, like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that that happened. What do you need? Um, you know, maybe Hannah just needs somebody to talk to about it. Maybe Hannah needs one of them to come with her when she talks to Aria. Like, you know, maybe she wants them to, like, just hear her out and tell her this wasn't her fault, you know, like any of that would be so, so, so much more helpful uh, than the way they just react here. And it's also, this is similar to the, the whole Spencer's addiction plot line where like they, they act like it's a moral failing. They act like substance abuse is a moral failing um, as opposed to anything else. So they're, they're kind of already treating Hannah like the fallen woman, uh, the drunky drunk who's just like, running around doing Girls Gone Wild all across town. Right. Well, and there's also no discussion about, like, the correlation between all of the shit that they've been dealing with since the start of the series and, like, how does one cope underneath all of that? It's sort of like, well, Hannah just dropped out of the sky with a drinking problem. What's her deal? Rather than, like, yeah, we've all kind of been through a lot and, like, People have different ways of coping or not coping in situations like this. And maybe we can have a little bit of grace for one another. Yeah. It's also so heartbreaking to me that, like, Hannah isn't even bringing this up for herself. She's bringing this up because she feels this duty to uh, to tell Aria 
Arya, who's been treating her like shit this whole episode, like she feels this duty because of the liar code and because she doesn't want to see Ella get hurt or Arya get hurt to like tell Arya. And they are just completely shutting her down. And this is, I mean, they don't say you're just doing this for attention, but it's heavily implied in all of the ways that they are reacting to her, which is like such a common refrain when a woman comes forward with a story like this. Oh, yes, that they're doing it for attention. They're doing it for, like, I don't know, the mythical, like, money, like, when it's a powerful right. man. Like, yeah, no one no one is being paid to have their life, like, ripped apart. Um, that's not that's not a thing. Um, also, this is, like, this is not, like, original to me. This is something I saw, like, on, on Twitter or Tumblr at some point. But it said, like, when you're talking about a teenage girl behavior, and you you hear the words like, oh, she's just like, she's just trying to get attention. She's just like attention seeking. Like replace that with the word support. Like she's just seeking yeah. support. And it really, it, it's really going to change the perspective uh, and it should. And I feel like that's like Hannah is seeking support uh, as she moves through this whole episode and she's not really finding much. Which is so interesting because Ashley had that line earlier about Allison not having any support system. Well, Hannah has one. She just doesn't want to use it. Like, she's yeah. like, no, if my mom is busy with Allison, then I I don't want any of that. Um, also, like, Hannah, like, both does and doesn't want to be seen here, you know? Yeah, like, very much so. So, so it's like, it's it's a conflict, I think, that's going on. And we'll talk, like, you have the, the scene coming up with Ashley and Allison and that I have a lot to say about what's going on with Ashley. Well, I think also a thing that's really sad is that Ashley, I would hope, uh, would be really understanding and listen and honor Hannah's feelings around this. Because Ashley's dealt with dudes like this her whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And there's, I think there's also, I mean, to kind of talk about the, a little bit the, the, the different dynamics here is it's like, the other liars, there is this almost this judgment I, that, that goes to the whole kind of trashy thing or the class dynamics thing of like, well, Hannah put herself in this position. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, well, it's very much like when people talk about date rape or when people talk about like sex workers getting assaulted, where it's like, well, you're putting yourself in danger. So like, what did you expect was going to happen? And um, it's such a horrible way to talk about that situation and it's like nobody is asking for this to happen to them nobody is putting themselves in a position where this is inevitable well also everyone like for several episodes now we've had people bitching about hannah's drinking but like what have any of them tried to like help her like have any of them been like you know what it seems like you know it seems like you and caleb are you know really like having a a time (laughs) with all of this with all this alcohol why don't you like take a night and you know why don't you just take a night off and like sleep over at emily's house tonight and you know like just like watch some rom-coms and eat some popcorn and talk about your feelings like nobody like nobody seems to be offering that up nobody seems to be saying like oh hey it seems like you and caleb are are really maybe getting a little bit wild why don't we do x thing tonight like the four of us or whatever like it just doesn't seem like anyone is offering hannah any alternatives they're just punishing her yeah 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 
Ugh. So um, back at the Marin house, Ashley bursts into Hannah's room looking for Hannah, um, which I guess Hannah didn't come home the previous night. So that's why she's looking for her. Uh, she finds Allison curled up by the window looking tired and tearful. Allison says that she heard someone last night outside the window trying to get in. Um, we really get the sense like how disconnected Ashley is from Hannah here. Um, but we see that Allison literally slept in the closet, LOL, um, and she couldn't move when she woke up. Ashley it really takes this in and takes this to heart and says that she will call the school and take the day off. Uh, every kid should have an Ashley Marin. And we sort of see this look on, on Allison's face that's almost her recognizing, like, this is unconditional love and she has never experienced that. Yeah, she looks legitimately moved by someone caring about her like this. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, some people might feel like Hannah certainly does, that Ashley is like neglecting her own daughter in favor of Allison. But I just want to put out there that that is like a false premise. Love is not a finite resource. Um, And while Hannah is going through a really rough time, Hannah does not want her mom's help to navigate it. Like if Hannah came to Ashley, even like right here where Ashley is like dealing with Allison, if Hannah came to her mom and told her what was going on, her mom would find a way to like support them both. She wouldn't be like, sorry, I can't talk to you now. Allison's having trouble. Like Ashley, you know, Ashley would help Hannah if Hannah wanted her help. Uh, And I think a serious argument can be made that Ashley recognizes Hannah struggling, but that she trusts Hannah to make her own mistakes. Like she knows Hannah is going to get through this and figure it out. Allison, on the other hand, has actually no one. I partially agree with that. I think that's a slightly more charitable interpretation than I feel towards Ashley here. I, I do think that Ashley could be trying harder with Hannah here. And I do think that there's a way in which Ashley really likes feeling so needed by Allison, um, you know, and she's not, she's not really, Hannah is not letting her in, but I don't, I don't feel like Ashley is like really trying that hard. I mean, we've seen Ashley like really try with Hannah before. Um, ultimately, I mean, I think if Hannah came to Ashley, Ashley would be there, but I think that, um, she could balance the focus between Allison and Hannah a little bit more here. Yeah, I mean, that's a valid point, but I feel like Allison is the one who is, like, needy right now. Yeah, and totally. Hannah is the one who's like, no, I'm just going out with my boyfriend till all hours. Right, and, you know, there's only so much you can offer to somebody who's just determined to not let you in, too. Well, I think if, and I, I actually will say, if there's anything that I think Ashley could be doing differently here, I think she's assuming that the Caleb that Hannah is spending time with is the same Caleb that Ashley is familiar with. And I mean, he's not, he's hashtag haunted. Well, exactly. Yes, she does. She has not yet met hashtag haunted Caleb. (laughs) Which is like in itself a sign before he was like always in their kitchen. You're totally, totally. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, so Spencer and Emily are at the stables. Uh, they are trying to get info from a ranch hand named Declan. Uh, they drop Jessica's name and the name of the horse, Custard. Uh, he is very skeptical of them, 
pointing out that Emily seems really skittish of horses. If Emily were afraid of horses, I suggest that Emily maybe shouldn't have come on this mission. Maybe this was one that she could have taken a pass on. But here is Emily startling at like the existence of every horse on the property. Uh, and Spencer tries to be like, no, no, I've taken like years of English riding. And he's like, wow, this is Western. Uh, and it's just, they're not getting anywhere with him. After Declan takes the horse back into the barn, Spencer chastises Emily for being mute. Yeah, this is a funny interaction because like this dude is like just not, not buying what they're selling at all and like Spencer is really trying hard but like Emily is like giving her nothing to work with no Spencer should just try bribing this guy she should just try offering him some cold hard cash for the info that she wants because I think that would be just a more direct bargaining I know and she ends up just like kind of following him around (laughs) like oh Declan Declan yeah we're still here Declan (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's just basically gonna try to wear him down Exactly. Exactly. Um, so this is a really sweet moment. Ashley comes in to Hannah's room to find Allison sitting on the bed reading. She still doesn't know what is going on with Hannah, but she offers for her and Allison to go out for a bite to eat. Allie isn't so sure, but Ashley says that she really needs to get out of the house, which is such a contrast to Kenneth, who wanted to keep uh, Allison locked up like Rapunzel. Uh, We hear thunder start rolling overhead, which one of the funniest elements of the rest of this episode to me is that, like, Ashley is hellbent on them getting out for this meal while, like, the storm of the century rages outside. Like, it seems like it seems like if ever there was a time to, like, order takeout and watch movies, this is probably that night. But Ashley is like, nope, this girl has been inside for too long. We are going out. God damn it. Yeah, I I also really like Ashley and Allison's interaction. Ashley calls her honey, which I yeah. think is really nice. And I know that you're like a big supporter of uh, of what if Jessica and Ashley were having an affair. Uh, I like this as like Ashley kind of trying to care for her would be stepdaughter. I like that too. I like that too a lot. And also, I think that Allison, uh, like you know, there's a whole thing of like what is an act, what isn't an act. I think Allison genuinely loves being parented. Oh, yeah. Especially by Ashley. Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> Back at the stables, Spencer stalks Declan some more. She talks about adopting horses, and uh, she kind of wears him down to the point where he tells her about Jessica and the strange girl who tried to ride in her slippers. Uh, she wanted... Uh, Jessica wanted the girl to call her Aunt Jessie, but the girl got upset and threw a bucket at her. Um, So we're just going to pause this story right now and say, do you think that the girl, the blonde girl who was writing, who got upset at calling her Aunt Jessie, do we think that that was Charlotte or do we think it was Bethany? Um... Gosh, I don't remember because I was going to say I think it's Bethany, but then isn't there a thing where they find like those letters or tapes or something and it was like all faked or something like that in like the we'll, Christmas episode? We'll have to keep an eye on Yeah, there's some kind of Alice and Bethany connection that may or may not have been faked, but um, I just feel like the whole like call her Aunt Jessie and then a kid gets upset. I feel like that kid is way more likely to be Charlotte. Um, 
who knows Jessica as her mother. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think the canon explanation, as much as there ever is one, is that it's Bethany. But for, like, character reasons, I like that it's Charlotte more. Because, like, Bethany well, is just a non-entity. And, and because of who we're going to find out is associated with these stables also. Um, but Spencer presses as to whether it was always just the two of them or was there ever a third person, maybe another blonde girl. Uh, Declan is like, lady, I don't take attendance and you should get out of here before this thunder rumbling in turns into a big storm. Uh, the roads up this way turn to soup. And as they walk off, Emily argues a bit, uh, asking kind of like why Spencer is inquiring about Allison. Uh, Spencer is unapologetic and insists on snooping around some more even though Emily really would like to be away from the horses as quickly as possible. Yeah. Spencer. I mean, this is very much Spencer dog with a bone Hastings. Like she's, Mm -hmm. she's, but it's interesting too. Like she doesn't even like, she is just, she, it's like, she has this gut feeling that there's something here that they're going to find, which I get like, they have to have her say that for like how the rest of this episode plays out. But it is interesting. Like almost as though Spencer's been here before or something. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Oh, boy, this scene. So uh, as the storm rages on, um, it's actually, there's a really cool shot. It Like, we pan over, like, from them going into the stables to Hannah sitting in her car outside. She's eating some food. Um, she's outside the brew, and Zach just lets himself into her car, asking if they can talk. Uh, she clearly does not want to talk to him but he says that he wasn't sure what her takeaway was from yesterday he was feeling a vibe and he thinks that she was too he rips a bag and writes his number on it telling her to hit him up before letting himself out of the car Uh, Hannah barely says a word through this whole encounter I really wish that the show like it almost seems like the show is communicating like well what he did before like that wasn't really legitimate but like this is what legitimizes his creepiness and like he was creepy before like it's not like this makes like this uh makes this officially creepy behavior um hannah rips up the number yeah also he puts a paw on her knee in this yes like in this scene he's like kind of pawing at her knee and when he's talking about the vibe and here's his number and everything like that. So once again, like being like physically touchy without being invited and really like, really like pressing the, the like the boundaries, like he's, he's completely like relying on like the way that women are socialized to be polite to men who are behaving this way. Like, he is 100% relying on that for Hannah not, like, screaming. Totally. Totally. Or, you know, punching him or whatever. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Absolutely. And I think it's, like, also, um, it says something about where Hannah is at and where her self-esteem is at that she doesn't, you know, unleash the hairspray can on him. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that there are, like, so many things. Like, like you know, you can just hear the liar saying, oh, so you took his number or like, oh, you have your doors unlocked. Like, you know, Hannah has been like, like the way that everyone has been treating Hannah is like doubling down on Hannah's like self-loathing, feeling like she deserves this, which she does not. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. 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 Um, Yeah. 
So elsewhere, <laughs> Ashley is making a dinner reservation for a corner table, something quiet. Uh, the storm is now like really loud outside. Uh, she discovers an open window in the kitchen. Uh, she closes it and wipes up the water that's come in. Uh, we have like just a lot of mounting suspense. She maybe sees something at the window. Then all of a sudden there's a super loud banging on the front door. Um, she calls out to Hannah, gets no answer, calls out to Hannah again, nothing. She calls to Allison, who is still upstairs and says she'll be down in a moment. Um, Ashley gets to the front door and sees that it is slightly ajar. Um, Allison comes downstairs and Ashley like kind of grabs her and pulls her as out of sight as possible while clutching like a pointy, I don't know, decorative award thing as a weapon. Uh, they see a figure dressed in black, like just for an instant in the kitchen. Uh, when they hear the back door slam, they find a carving knife on the floor and a scratched window pane. Uh, Ashley immediately calls 911. Yeah, this whole sequence is very tense. It feels like lots of, you know, shows with them creeping around. Um, yeah, it's legit. It's legitimately scary. It is. It is. This is one of the definitely one of the more effective, um, like creepy mounting terror uh, moments, especially because uh, it's very rare for like, I, I mean, I think this is and of course, this winds up being a setup that Allison is doing. But like, it's super rare for any of the adults to encounter a um, and so you almost yeah. feel like, oh, God, if Ashley sees them, are they going to kill her? Like, what's going to happen? Like, you know, yeah. it just because like with age comes agency, Ashley is going to call 911 and they're going to have to come and they're going to have to yeah. listen to her. And she's like in the next scene, we're going to see her being like an advocate for like, no, this really happened. Um, whereas like the liars themselves are just so condi conditioned that like no matter how terrorized they get, they need to handle this on their own. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and so we follow this up with Tanner, apparently the only cop in town <laughs> responding to this 911 call for some reason. Uh, she is asking uh, Ashley what she saw. She says she believes it was a man's shadow. Tanner tries to confirm with Allison, who agrees a man's shadow. And Tanner is immediately interrogating what Allison did or did not see, clearly doubting the story. Uh, Ashley kind of snaps at that, saying, is it standard police procedure to treat the victim as a criminal? She stands up, gets physically in between Tanner and Allison sitting on the stairs, saying, hasn't this girl been through enough? And they need to work on catching this psycho before he, she kind of looks to Allison, before he strikes again. Ashley clarifies that she is saying this all as a concerned mother. And it's really quite a moment to see somebody kind of taking Tanner to task like this, especially having it be, you know, Ashley and not just like one of the many white men who always, you know, just throw their weight around because they can. Uh, and to see somebody, an adult, standing up on behalf of Allison is really quite powerful. Yeah, I completely agree, especially... Like, Ashley, I feel like, is someone who um, the police are going to have to take more seriously because, like, they falsely accused her of murder not that long yeah. ago. So, like, I mean, honestly, Ashley could still have a lawsuit pending against them. They need to, like, 
Ashley Marin is a force that they need to reckon with for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Ouch. Uh, you got the scenes of Zach's behavior and now I get, I get this one. This I'm going to say this is one Oof, of the worst uh. scenes of the run of the show. I think um, probably the worst scene pre dead name season. Um, Aria is making place cards for the engagement party. Uh, the guest list, like we said before, seems to be composed entirely of her friends. Uh, Hannah comes in. She's drenched. She's upset. Uh, she says she knows that she and Aria are not on the best terms right now, but she has something to tell her. She doesn't know how, so she's just going to say it. Zach hit on her. Um, Aria does not want to hear it. Like, the, the previous uh, a few episodes ago when Veronica was basically like putting her hands over her ears, uh, this is really essentially what Aria is doing. Like um, Aria does not want any details. Uh, she just like she throws all of her anger at Hannah for drinking, for telling Sydney about New York, for not apologizing properly. And like that's all whatever. Aria can be upset about all of those things if that's what she's going through. But every single one of those things is a separate issue from this. And it's a deflection. Like, it's, it's completely a deflection. Like, she doesn't want to talk about whether Zach hit on Hannah. So she wants to talk about all the things that Hannah has done wrong. Uh, and kind of imply, like, well, you did all this shit wrong. So you should really just let this go. Like, haven't you, yeah. haven't you been making enough bad choices lately? Can't you just let this one... Uh, can't you just let this go by? Um, so this is this is not great. Uh, she's zooming right in to blame Hannah. Uh, did she kiss him? Was she trashed? Uh, Hannah is getting more and more upset, but she is really clear. He wanted to hook up with her. He wasn't joking. Uh, and Arya's behavior here, if they weren't bonded for life by their trauma, I think Arya's behavior would be unforgivable. Um, she tells Hannah she can self-destruct on her own life, but she is not going to be taking her mom down with her. And what is clear and tragic here, more than anything else, is the way that Arya has been conditioned by her own parents and by Prezra to make any claim of inappropriate behavior more about what Hannah did or didn't do than the actual actions of the man in question. Completely, completely. Yeah, the fact that Hannah says, you know, Zach hit on me, and that Arya's first thing that she says is, you kissed him? You know, that, like, that's that's how she, that's how she, immediately her mind makes that, that link. She doesn't even have to think about it. Um, it's just, it's so cruel. I mean, the way that she's talking about, you know, playing charades with drunkie and... You know, what you do, Hannah, invite him into your car. Like, it's just, oh, it's so horrible. And Hannah is standing there dripping wet from the rain, crying. And Arya is just berating her. And one of the, to me, one of the most heartbreaking moments of this scene is um, Arya says, you know, God, this is so messed up. And Hannah, she thinks that Arya is like acknowledging like, oh, yeah, this thing that Zach did is so messed up. She's like, yeah, I know. And Arya's like, no, you are so messed up. Like, she's just spitting venom at Hannah. God, it is it is so rough. It, I mean, it's unforgivable. It is like, yeah. it is yeah. a betrayal of, like, everything 
that their friendship should be about. It's really, really rough. Uh, and also, I feel like, I, I feel like my heart dropped when Arya says, like, did you kiss him? Or wait, you kissed him. Because I feel like, you know what that tells us? That tells us that in Arya's world, whenever anyone is going to talk about Fitz as a predator, Arya is going to say, I kissed him too. Like Arya is going yeah. to like, she, she wants to like, she doesn't want the story of her and Fitz to be that Fitz was a predator. And so if that means that for Arya, predators don't exist, then that's what it means for her. Right, right. A predator is just a man that you kiss, right? Mm-hmm. Just an adult man who walks around kissing teenage girls. <laughs> There's one on every corner. It's so incredibly normal. Yeah, it's, it's so, it's so rough. And like, gosh, the way that like Hannah is being so brave and so vulnerable here to come to Aria after her friends have been awful to her, after she's received zero support from anybody and is doing this and, and she's not even doing this because she wants Aria's sympathy. She's doing this because she cares about Aria and she cares about Ella and this is the response that she gets. It's just awful. Also, when we talk about like the you know the idea that it's Zach who's treated differently from the other characters, I think that the big um, the big difference between the the framing here and like what Zach is doing and, and what other guys do is that like when you think about the Ian storyline of Ian and Spencer, or you think about um, Ian and Allie, or Ren and Spencer or Hannah and Holbrook or Hannah and Ren, any of these other uh, myriad uh, relationships that the show tries to throw at us as relationships. I think the real difference here is that in every one of those, they have like this cover where they're like, oh, well, you know, she, there wasn't any issue with consent. She consented. And so like, they're, they're just saying like, oh, so it's fine. Regardless of the fact that these are adult men, who are getting involved with minors, which is always problematic. There's not like an exception there. But the thing with Zach is that he does not have consent. Like he right. very actively lacks Hannah's consent for uh, for the behavior that he's engaging in here. Yes, yes. I do think that that's an important piece of the puzzle. Um, and another thing that just sucks about this, like obviously we'll talk about it more next week, but like the way that Caleb has to be kind of the one to solve it. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it just it just really sucks. Like this is just and, you know, one of the things that and and again, we'll talk about this more next week, but like that this becomes more a story about like Ella's sadness over losing this engagement versus this horrible experience that Hannah has gone through and has not been believed through. Yes. And this, like, what is happening to Hannah is 100% the fault of Zach. It's the fault of Zach for making these very active choices to, like, try and, uh, you know, like, insert himself uh, into into the life of this teenage girl who he sees as vulnerable. He's doing it because he sees her as vulnerable. He sees her as a bad girl. He sees her as a a girl who's going to be out drinking. So, like, so what if he kisses her? He can say later she was drunk and she kissed me, you know, like. He's just yeah. he, he's just really working the predator playbook here. But I'm going to say that there is someone else 
who bears some culpability for the situation that Hannah finds herself in. And that person is Ella Montgomery herself, who next week we're going to learn has some foreknowledge of Zach having been involved in things like this before. Like she is not struck to hear this. She's not surprised to hear this. So yeah. she has basically brought this man into like the life of her teen daughter and her teen daughter's friends as like, oh, this is gonna be Arya's new stepdad. He's gonna be like one of the family here. And she knows that he has a history of preying on teenage girls. So I, I really also hold Ella um, somewhat, somewhat culpable for like him being sort of like a wolf among the sheep here. Oh, yeah. And I mean, is it any surprise given the way that Ella just invited Prezra into the family? Right. You know? Right. Oh, man. Yeah, this is, I agree. This is like one of the hardest to watch scenes of the series. Well, and and that they didn't call the police on Prezra because they were afraid of what the town would think of their daughter. Um, so they yes. obviously gave Arya the message that like, well, it's the it's the lady strumpet's fault. She can't be going to school in those uh, in those same clothes anymore. She needs to wear a potato sack, etc. Right, right. It's Hannah's fault. She shouldn't have worn those ripped tights and that short skirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so back over at the stables, it's so ridiculous that we have this whole like plot with Hannah and Zach and Caleb. Like it's very very serious plot. And this very serious plot with, like, Ashley and, and Allison's trauma and all of that. And then we have Spencer and Emily at the stables. A day at the stables. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, that's true. I, I also feel like, uh, I, I feel like this scene is about a kick in the head, as was the last one. True, 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 true. So uh, Spencer and Emily are just bopping around the stables when they happen upon a helmet that Spencer very quickly identifies as Melissa's. And I am not shocked at all that you made the Charlotte de Laurentiis connection between <laughs> the stables and one Melissa Hastings. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> they were doing a little uh, <laughs> riding practice. Um, so meanwhile, there's like a horse by them who starts freaking out from the thunder and suddenly, like, a foot away from the liars, they do not notice, A, locking them into the stables. And there's, like, this puny little fence separating them from the horse, who is just going wild. Uh, Emily freaks out. The horse continues to buck. The liars scream for help as they try to get out. The horse starts breaking through the gate as the liars are trying to, like, build a way out of their enclosure. Uh, Spencer ends up getting hit in the eye. Emily cradles her and eventually they break free. Yes, this is one of those great when animals attack scenes, as opposed to the scene with Ashley and the knife wielding shadow in the home. This one doesn't do as great a job with suspense, I feel. Like, they're they're in a separate area from where the horse is, but the horse is rearing and kicking and there's thunder and I don't know. This is, um, I mean, at least they established that Emily is terrified of horses prior to this, but this is, um, this is like a lower tier animal attack, I feel. 
I would agree. I would agree. And it also like it happens really quickly right here at the end of the episode. We're like kind of in darkness. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like this scene felt like the less less exciting cousin to the scene in season three when Hannah and Emily get stuck at the con cabin and Hannah gets that gash in, on her leg. Yes. Yes. Agree. Oh, so um, now Spencer has a black eye. And she, like, can't see super well. We get a shot where, like, her vision is blurry. And there's a hooded Tobe at the door. Uh, she tells him about the stables and finding Melissa's helmet. He's mad and tired of feeling powerless. Um, Spencer wants to apologize to him. And says that if being a cop is going to put it into this, she says, go. Bloody hard. I'll graduate early. And he's like the proudest manly man with a puffy puff chest and a, a, you know, eyes on the horizon look, holds her close and he, you know, has this resolute expression. Uh, and she starts crying and tells him that coming back to this house with her parents split up and Melissa possibly a part of this, it's all getting so much worse. And you know what might help here? Moving out of this house. She could stay with Toby. She could stay at Toby's fucking fishing cabin where Caleb is holed up with all of his beer bottles. Get him out of there and allow Spencer to move in. Like, she could stay with Aria. She could stay at the Marin home for wayward girls. Just a suggestion. There are a lot of things that can help Spencer besides Toby becoming a cop. Like, when he's like, all the police in this town are bumbling or corrupt. Well, you're going to be both of those things. So... I don't know why you feel like you're different, but uh, at the end of the scene, we see that Emily is calling and Spencer is not answering her phone. Yeah, this scene is really sad. The way that Spencer just like breaks down. Like, I feel like we've seen Spencer obviously go through so many trials and tribulations with A, but she just seems broken in this moment, you know? Well, well think about how much time Spencer spends alone in this house. Like her parents are constantly gone. Now one of them isn't even living there. Um, and now she can't see properly. Like one of her eyes is super blurry. Like yeah. Spencer is just feeling more and more and more vulnerable. What should happen is she just, maybe she could have Hannah move in and they could like recover from their substance abuse issues together. I think that that would be a really nice plan. I also, I agree. And I also love this, though, as an injury for Spencer, because it's like Spencer, who can never even trust her own mind and what she is or isn't seeing. Like, I love that shot where she looks out the window and she sees, it's almost like she sees the black hoodie first and then she sees Toby, which, first of all, Toby, after what you did to your girlfriend, you were never allowed to wear black hoodies around her. Never, 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 ever. Especially because Toby is completely the kind of guy who probably has 16 trucker caps in his, in his home. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a great Spencer that like she can't even trust her own side. And it's also interesting from the standpoint of Jenna. And in an upcoming episode, I know there's like that bizarre scene where like everybody shows up to the eye clinic wearing sunglasses. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, so back over at the Montgomery house, which, by the way, where where is Byron? 
like teaching in Syracuse on the other side of the door in the French farce. Unknown. Because isn't this his house? Doesn't he live in the house with Arya? Yes. It's weird. I, I feel like I just can imagine like the bizarre sexual politics of like Ella and Zach staying here while Byron is also staying here. And like, like where are they sleeping? Are they sleeping in Byron's bed? Are they sleeping <laughs> Ella bring Zach home for the big throuple? <laughs> are they sleeping in bunk beds? <laughs> oh my God. Um, Aria watches Ella and Zach kiss while sort of lovingly teasing each other about the decorations. We learn that Mike is hiding upstairs, which I feel like, as always, pay attention to the way Mike reacts to people. He's got a good barometer, and the fact that he doesn't like Zach clearly means something. Um, Arya wants to go, gets up and cheat. She seems to be, like, kind of slowly feeling like, okay, something, maybe I was a little too quick to judge Hannah. Like, something's feeling a little funky here. Um. She wants to go to bed, but Ella does not respect that boundary, announcing that they're, they picked out a movie specifically for Arya and that they need to all watch it together. And there's like a very brief flicker of eye contact between Ella and Arya that seems to imply that uh, Arya needs to do this to sort of prove that uh, she's not trying to sabotage this wedding. <laughs> um, Arya awkwardly settles into the middle between Ella and Zach, which is weird. Like, it's really weird that Arya would be sitting between her mother and her mother's fiancé on the couch. Yeah, that is super weird. Super, super weird. Yeah, it's really weird. And she's clearly uncomfortable. Like, she's kind of leaning away from him toward Ella. Um, They are just acting like this is a totally normal configuration on the couch. I find it utterly bizarre. I really agree. Yeah, yeah. And then they start the movie and Arya seems to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so elsewhere, Allison is back in her house. She's packing some stuff up and getting her dad's number in Westport. Emily is by her side, stewing about having left messages for everyone. Spencer bursts in, wanting to talk about the cop car in Hannah's driveway and how Mrs. Marin is a basket case. And is this what it's going to be like now? Their parents being physically assaulted too? This is not the same A who left nasty notes in their lockers. And then the most fascinating moment of the episode happens. And that is that Allie cops to a trick, even though she does not need to. Uh, She says this A was Noel Kahn. He broke in because she asked him to. She needed someone important like Mrs. Marin to believe her and stop questioning what happened to her. Um, Spencer and Emily are aghast. How could she, uh, you know, how could she do this? And Allison, at her most Allison, kind of just shrugs and says, it worked, didn't it? And that's that's inarguable. It did work. It was a successful plan. And this is just really great because for once, Allison is letting them in. She's showing them how the sausage gets made. She can't be trusted. But then again, Maybe she can, because she told them about it. So it's a really, like, it's a really interesting dichotomy. Like, does Allison tell them because she doesn't want Spencer to be so worried about her own parents with the divorce thing that she's already going through? Does she tell them because she feels a little bit guilty for having terrified Ashley, who was so kind to her? Does she tell them just because she feels like they shouldn't have secrets anymore? Does she tell them because she wants to draw a circle that they're on the inside of 
and Hannah's on the outside of. Like with Allison, you never know, but I just think it's a really, really interesting moment that she actually admits this to them. Yeah, I mean, I think another question is, did she tell them so she can seem more in control? Because yeah. it does go from, the scene does go from her seeming very vulnerable to suddenly very in control. Yeah, it's a really interesting moment. And it's hard to know exactly why it happens this way. Um, but I, I like it. I like her telling them this, whatever her may be, you know. Um, they're also, yeah, I think there is this sort of element of like, well, I'm going to make you culpable in this scheme as well. Now we're all in this together. Are you going to tell Mrs. Marin or not? Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, so then we go to the A tag where what child is this is playing at the Hastings house as A looks over a bunch of pictures of Spencer horseback riding and lovingly caresses Melissa's helmet before opening up a segment in a chair where I believe the helmet ends up maybe getting stored, um, who, pray tell, would want to lovingly caress the helmet of one Melissa Hastings? I mean, who wouldn't? Whether this be Charlotte or whether this be Mona, I am here for it. <laughs> I know. It's a great little moment, and it's such a funny way to, like, this whole helmet business is, like, such a funny way to quickly re-involve uh, Melissa in the mystery you know well, and this is another incident where like location equals guilt like if you were in right. New York that means you're a murderer and if you rode horses at this stables which like I'm sure there are probably a lot of stables but like being in a stables to ride horses is not inherently a criminal activity um, they, they are nonetheless acting like oh no now Melissa is definitely mixed up in this Yes, yes. So I have a question for you, which is, what does this title refer to? This episode oh, title. Huh, what a good question. Um, I mean, I, I assumed it was like about, about the like, Allison, Allison like making this terrifying situation, like as a pantomime for Ashley. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. I mean, there's also this element of like Hannah is screaming out and nobody is hearing her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true as well. Yeah. Um, next week is March of Crimes, which is the Ooh. weird weird eye doctor episode and also the aftermath of everything that happened with Zach. Um, what what more do we have to say about this episode, if anything? Oh, it was a rough one. I like I said, I feel like in this in this episode, you can see that we are careening towards the waterfall. Um, that that pretty soon the really questionable plot lines are going to start to weigh down uh, the still redemptive elements of the show. Yeah, and we're getting really pretty close to the end of this half season. I mean, we've got March of Crimes, A Dark Alley, No One Here Can Love or Understand Me, and then taking this one to the grave. So we're getting we're getting pretty close here. And, you know, we kind of have our first hint of Christmas time in this episode with the uh, What Child Is This Choir. Oh, yeah. When they started singing that, I, like, had a brief moment of being like, oh, 
is it December? Is it after <laughs> Thanksgiving? But then I was like, oh, oh, no, no, no. Of course, it is not Thanksgiving yet because Mona is going to be fake murdered on Thanksgiving weekend. So depending on like how the calendar works for this year, like we could still, you know, if Thanksgiving is like November 24th, we could be like quite early on still. I think it's so funny that they could have had Mona die right before Christmas, especially because they do the whole like Vander Jesus thing, but they choose to have it be on Thanksgiving and just like further mess with the timeline. For no reason. For no reason. For no reason. Just to drive us mad. Um, well, are we, are we finished with talking about this, this rough? I I would like to not talk about it anymore. It was, uh, yeah, I I remembered this. I remembered this one differently. I remembered it as like, oh, an animal attack. And like Allison, uh, I, I do really like this as an Allison plan. I like her reaction to it. Um, but yeah, there was like everything else in this episode was, was pretty difficult to get through. When you're like eager to get back to the dulcet tones of Sydney asking about the beef in New York, <laughs> like you know we're in for a rough time. That's so true. When the Sydney scenes are like some of the best, uh, and yeah. easiest to get through, that that is very telling. You're like, don't go away, Sydney. Where is the beef? <laughs> Froyo, New York, boyfriend. <laughs> swim, swim, swim. <laughs> oh man I'm for some reason I'm picturing her like in Ratatouille like she's got like Jenna like in her hat like pulling on her hair as she like whirls around <laughs> the kitchen <laughs> when like when Sydney first was like when the show was on and, and Sydney was around um I remember I remember like among the like it, you know it seemed like she was gonna try to single white female someone it seemed like she probably was queer uh, and then she was just always acting so weird all the time. I I did think, like, are they doing some kind of twin plot line with her? Are there two Sydneys? Uh, does she have a split personality that she, like, just fritzes out uh, on the robot setting? Like, what's going on? Um, but then, of course, it turns out to be none of the above. She had undercover cop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like... Um... Yeah, I feel like they're like I'd love to know what the backstory with Sydney was because it does feel like there are about three or four plot lines that they're exploring with her that they just never committed to. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, if you have any thoughts on this uh, long, uncomfortable episode, you can of course send us an email, everybodyapodcast at gmail dot com. You can also check out our Instagram at Everybody A Podcast. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. We will be back next week with March of Crimes. So until then, take care. 